And we are live, everyone. Thanks for joining us live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and I'm joined by Seth Wintraub. Is everything working, Seth? You're good? Uh, yeah, we had a little problem. I'm up here in Whistler Mountain uh, with the family today, so uh, some Wi-Fi issues, but we're back in action. Yeah, Seth is working mobile right now, which is probably why uh, his audio is not uh, as it uh, usually is. But uh, and we're sorry for the little bit of a delay, like 12 minutes behind to make it happen. But we uh, we have a good show for you guys today. So I hope you can still join us live or, or listen up later. And if you do and you do enjoy the show and only if you do, of course, please give us a thumbs up on your podcasting app, on your streaming app or, or a five star review that always helps, too. So um, let's jump in because there's actually a lot of news this week that came out oh i should say by the way if uh, you were listening to the podcast last week and i told you i was going to check out the id buzz in europe uh, i did uh it was awesome i came back and uh, i cannot talk about the driving impression though until uh next week or uh, maybe even the week after that's september 7th so it's gonna be a little bit of a while before i i, I release my review of it uh but uh stay tuned for it because it, it's it's very fun vehicle very unique a lot, a lot of character a lot of personality in the vehicle uh just a little bit a long time we're gonna have to wait for it no i'm not talking about my, my review i'm talking about the actual vehicle here in north america it's gonna be uh till 2024 but the deliveries in europe if you're listening from uh, to us from europe uh deliveries are starting in the next few weeks so all right. Speaking of Europe, they get all the goodies first. And uh, the Model Y standard range or rear-wheel drive, however you want to call it, the cheaper Model Y is what it really is. A lot cheaper. Just launched in Europe. And uh, we, we had that last year briefly in North America. Tesla made the standard range uh, available, just a smaller battery pack and rear-wheel drive motor, and then took it away within weeks uh, and then, of course, launched it in China, where the, it was being built at GFA Shanghai. And it has been available since then, like now for over a year in China. And I think it's probably the, the most popular version of the Model Y there. We still haven't seen it come back to the U.S. or Canada, uh, but now it's coming to Europe. And it's interesting. So you look at the specs, okay, very similar to what we were used to with the standard range. So uh, we, we were talking about uh, 455 kilometers of range, which is the equivalent of 283 miles, uh, which sounds a lot for the same range. But of course, this is a WLTP, so closer to 240 to 30. Um, uh, if it was EPA, 217 kilometers uh, top speed, zero to 100, which is 62 miles per hour, and 6.9 seconds, so a, lot, a lot slower than the current long range version. And of course, like the the two only version that Tesla is selling right now uh, in North America is the long range and the performance version, which are basically the same cars, uh, same powertrain at least, which is a little bit more capacity unlocked in the the performance version, and uh, you a few different options like different wheels and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, the the big kicker is obviously the price here. The price it starts in some markets with different 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 market in Europe, uh, different taxes and whatnot. But uh, in the Netherlands, for example. It starts at 50,000 euros. Uh, so that's 16,000 euros less than the Model Y long range. And it's even cheaper than the Model 3, than the base Model 3 in Europe, which makes no sense because Tesla was always talking about the Model Y costing about $5,000 more than the Model 3. Um, yeah, and so 50,000 euros. And by the way, for reference to our US listeners, the euro and the dollar right now is basically at parity. 
so this is like fifty thousand dollars but that includes a vat of over eight thousand dollars so it's like a forty two thousand dollar model y that they have there uh which uh very attractive like this thing is gonna it's gonna sell like crazy but uh it's not coming until december through february that's the new order uh delivery timeline uh, as of right now so now the real question is like where is this car coming from so the the quick thought would be like, obviously, this is coming from China, from Gigafactory Shanghai. It would be LFP battery cells. And that's how they get that price so low and everything. And uh, even though Tesla started production at Gigafactory Berlin, most of the volume coming to Europe is still vehicles uh, imported from, from China for Tesla. Uh, however, what throws a wrench into this whole thing is that these being these rumors that and it's not just rumors. Uh, I, some part of that is confirmed. The fact that um, BYD is supplying batteries to Tesla, though we don't know when and where, but there was rumors recently coming out of China that BYD was supplying those blade LFP uh, iron phosphate battery cells to Tesla, not in Shanghai but in Berlin, to produce a new standard range version of the Model Y. So this might be that. This might be. Um, Berlin built Model Y with BYD LFP cells coming out of China. This this might be a, I cannot it's not a confirmation or anything, but it's it looks likely at this point. Uh, other than that, it would be just uh, from, from uh, Model Y built in Shanghai. We probably won't know until a few months when these things get delivered, or maybe there's going to be some certification process before that that's going to confirm it most likely. Uh, but it's something to keep an eye on because this is interesting. But um, and and do we think these are going to be? You said the blade batteries from BYD. Is it going to require a different form factor for the battery pack? I mean, the, the the LFP battery pack. Uh, we're already using the pouch cell format. So this the blade is basically a pouch cell. Is just a very very long pouch cell. So uh, I, I I don't think it's going to be a widely different pack. And and Tesla already using like very like big. Mo- big and few modules in the Model 3 Model Y. Uh, so it's, it, it, the, I'm sure they have to do different packaging of the modules since you're, you're going from a cylindrical format to a pouch or uh, prismatic cell format. But this is, um, yeah, this it, it should be that new from the already existing LFP um, that Tesla has been producing in Shanghai, really, for the Model Y and everywhere else for the Model 3 for the standard range. You already all LFP pouch cells. So yeah, so that's that's really interesting, and obviously the the thing that people know, just like the ID buzz, <laughs> is that is this gonna come to the U.S. and if so, when? Because uh, obviously this uh, this vehicle could be very popular in the U.S. and you know what? I, I think it will. I think I think um, if Tesla can get the hands on enough LFP cells, uh, we should see a Model Y, uh, cheaper Model Y, being built. Uh, factory Texas at some point, just like the version right now that they're building with the 4680 cells is shorter range and everything. So uh, I think I think this is a possibility. However, with the the whole new the new package, the new uh, IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the, all the restriction regard, regarding the, the battery components and the critical minerals, it it might make more sense for Tesla to try to have local production of LFP cells. Uh, before the uh, they do that, so that could delay things. But you know what? Maybe a forty six eighty with LFP chemistry, if that's possible, you do that, 
and you get uh, you not only get a cheaper standard range model Y, but you get you get a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit on top of that, and now you get uh, potentially a less than forty thousand dollar model Y, which, <laughs> as uh, you can imagine, would would couldn't produce enough even if you produce like two millions a year. Um, but yeah, that's uh, something to keep an eye on. All right, uh, new Tesla update that came to the vehicle this week, or at least more vehicles. Uh, the there was some of these features that already started to roll out in the last few months, but uh, this thing we've been waiting for for a long time is the Tesla profiles, which is basically just taking your driver profile into the cloud uh, so that you can move them around for different vehicles, especially with the context of now Tesla rentals being a lot more popular with the Hertz deal and. Uh, um, I know that Tesla vehicles are also super popular on uh, on Turo, on Turo. But uh, I don't know if you could implant that on Turo, but probably. Uh, so all of your settings, not your driver setting, including even like mirror settings, seating, steering wheel settings, uh, all your autopilot preference, climate preference, navigation history, like the your your favorite, and all that, that can all be transferred to a new car through the Tesla profile that are now cloud based. So uh, this is a, a very Probably unique development to Tesla again. Like, uh, I don't know any other company that does that. Are you muted? Do you want to say something? Yeah, just uh, it's interesting that they can do that from like, uh, you know, go from a Model X to like a Model 3. It's a totally different car. It's like a much bigger car, Model X. Um, how would it do like the mirrors? Like, how would it know the mirrors? I guess I, I, would, I would assume that there's a settings that knows if it's the model that this doesn't apply, like the mirrors and the setting, the settings, they, they would cancel that and only use like your autopilot preference and your media preference, navigation preference, most likely. Yeah. I don't know if you could even like remember, you know, like if you have that only applies to Model S and Model X, but like your uh, suspension settings based on navigation, like if you get into your right. driveway and you want to lift up your car. I don't know if you remember that between, between different cars. That would be pretty impressive. Uh, you can move now, and that, that that has been released a few cars, and now it's reaching a lot more vehicles. By the way, I should say what's the uh, 20, 2022.24. That's the uh, software. No, that, that's the, the 24.5. So I know that 2024, not a lot of people have been getting it. And now with the version 24.5, this is being distributed to many more cars, including the blind spot. So uh, was it a year or two ago Tesla introduced and when you use your turn signal, the side camera show up uh, on your screen so that you uh, can use it to uh, have a blind spot viewer, basically. Uh, now you can drag it around to a preferred spot in the screen. So this is obviously very useful for a Model 3, Model Y user with only the center screen. You can move that and know exactly where uh, um, you want it. The ability to disable sounds from the sentry mode. So this is useful too. Uh, if uh, uh, you, you you can choose uh, not to bother your your neighbors if like people uh, get too close to the car or something. Uh, a few other little goodies that were in there, small changes that were undocumented and not in the release note. That means is the ability to uninstall video games. So the Tesla's video games library has been. Uh, increasing a lot lately, and there's limits on the hard uh, on the hardware on the memory of the computer. Now you can remove some of the games that you don't use. Uh, assume assuming that Tesla's probably going to release more soon, and you, you're going to have to um, limit w- what you can and what you can play with. That was my thought as well. Yeah. Especially if they're going to do Steam and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> on my gaming computer, I have too many Steam games I, I don't play, so. 
And now you could have the same problem on your Tesla. Uh, the only other change was also uh, you have a timestamp now on your tire pressure readings. It can be useful. Like you click on it and like you, you, maybe you're worried about your tire pressure and you pull up the service screen and uh, it tells you exactly when you took the pressure uh, last so that you, uh, uh, you, you can make sure that you're not losing pressure or something. All right, we have an interesting update on the smear campaign that uh, Dan O'Dowd, the billionaire from California, has been uh, running on uh, Tesla FSD beta. So for people that aren't caught up to it, it's uh, the this, this guy has <laughs> ran a Senate campaign that he ended up losing, but using the security of, uh, uh, of freedom of speech that comes with political ads, he started running an uh, ad campaign focusing on Tesla full self-driving beta and his clear goal is to have it removed from U.S. roads. That's uh, what he said. And uh, he's uh, set out to make it look bad, basically. And to make it look bad, he, he ran these tests uh, where the the car, yeah, the Model 3, uh, basically hit mannequin children, like dummy children. And, uh, and not dumb children, like actual, an actual dummy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, he released that earlier this month. And we did a report on it because I saw some a bunch of significant inconsistencies with uh, with the test and, and the ad. The ad itself, the biggest inconsistency in it is that it shows them activating FSD beta and it doesn't activate for whatever reason. You can clearly see in the ad, the only time that they show the activation of FSD beta, it does not engage. Uh, so that's weird to start with. And... Uh, and then, but then they release additional footage that didn't make the ad where they, you do see FSD beta being engaged successfully this time. Uh, but then the video from where you can see it engage doesn't match at all the test result that they release. So it does hit the dummy, but not at the speed they're talking about. So there's there's significant inconsistencies in the test result and the footage. And probably the biggest issue and the, the most... Um, uh, suspicious issue because they're not discussing it is that to all of the footage, including the one where you show FSD beta being engaged, there's always this big alert, this system alert at the bottom of it. And uh, the video is conveniently not high resolution enough or blurry enough uh, at that depth that we cannot read the warning. Uh, so this this warning could be a problem. Like it could literally be a warning where uh, automatic emergency braking is disabled, or uh, a lot of people say that it matches the same warning it says if you're pressing on the accelerator, and it tells you the cruise control will not slow down if you're pressing on the accelerator. But it is unconfirmed, and they don't want to confirm what is the warning is about. So we raised all those questions in our report, or report went viral and everything, and Elon even retweeted it. <laughs> which is weird since he's blocking us, but he's retweeting our content now. Uh, and uh, now we learned that Tesla sent a cease and desist uh, to the Dawn project as uh, Odell's little smear campaign against FSD beta is, is, is called the Dawn project, um, which obviously its mission is not to smear Tesla officially, but to make the road safer by banning Tesla FSD. So in the season, this is funny enough, the uh, Tesla quoted our report in it, um, which Odell doesn't like. He, he, uh, he's been on Twitter uh, calling me a moron, calling me a liar, saying that I fabricated the story and everything like that. And I want to be as clear as I can be like, we don't want to report anything that is false on electric. And 
if he can like disprove anything that I said, he's willing. He just has to answer the question. I said I sent him and his team those three points that I just discussed. I sent them very pointed, very clear questions on, on it, uh, privately and publicly, and the. They keep not wanting to answer those questions, and he prefers to just smear our name on 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 Twitter. Uh, it's it's really like it's wild because like the guy is like I don't know how old he is, but he has to be in his sixties or whatever. He's a he's a, apparently a very successful businessman, like a billionaire, and he spends his time just like insulting. Like he sounds like a fourteen year old on Twitter, like insulting us, insulting Elon. He, well. On Elon, I shouldn't say a 14-year-old because he sounded a lot like Trump with Elon. Like he gave him like a, a Trump, uh, Trump-like nickname. Like uh, he called it the master scammer. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a very bizarre situation. And something that the media like so now he's this is being picked up like crazy in the media, especially uh, every time you send like something like a cease and desist, the media loves that. It's like, oh, someone wants to keep something quiet. But they um the the, the media doesn't point out the fact that. Odell is is his company Green Hills Software is basically a competitor to Tesla, and he says like it's not it's not really a big part of the business and everything. And, and sure, uh, maybe the <laughs> that's kind of scary. They're kind of a big defense contractor, like they get a lot of software for like uh, like spy agencies and and and, and the U.S. Army and, and and whatnot. But the uh, also a big part of the business they're trying to grow is in the automotive business where they provide software for and they keep saying we're not trying to compete with Tesla for self-driving because we're not building for self-driving software we're building uh, advanced driver assist software which okay like the uh, that's that's really like a, a cow pal because Tesla is also building EDS uh, software like it's just it just happens to all to also build for self-driving and ADS is a kind of a clear step towards self-driving uh But what's funny too is like Odell, because he puts me like he keeps going after Omar too, and uh, he puts me like in the same uh, like category as Omar. Like he thinks like I'm also just a Tesla super fan, and I'm just trying to defend Tesla. So so he, he doesn't put any value in anything I say because he just assumes that I'm just one of a Tesla like super fan trying to defend a company. But I. We we might have some things in common, though. That like I'm not a big fan of the full self driving beta either. Like it's just I think his tests are completely uh, inconsistent and uh, they are suspicious at best, maybe even malicious uh, at worst. If 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 he, he either because the way I see it, either doesn't um, either purposefully not res respond to those questions because he uh, he knows that the answers make him look bad or he's just so entrenched in it at this point that he just he, he's just doubling down on his mistake because it, it could be pure mistakes like i, I don't know do you have a take on this set yeah so uh well first of all you should you should uh toot your own horn a little bit like uh the you know tesla's um cease and desist was pretty much like kind of taking your post and, and putting it into a legal brief. Yeah. Uh, there was, there wasn't much else to it. Um, also O'Dowd, like what a weirdo, like 62 year old billionaire and does no research into like, you know, what your complaint is mm -hmm. and just, and just starts like, you know, anti-trolling, which I thought was really strange. Like this guy's supposed, I mean, I guess you live in a different world now or something, but so he says, 
I don't respect a blogger running a smear campaign against me. There's no campaign. There's no smear. It's just I wrote very... two articles, <laughs> right? And not even on him. I wrote them on the the well, one of the tests and one before that on the announcement of his campaign. So he says Tesla relied on your false blog, which you still haven't corrected, to threaten legal action against me. So we're asking the, the questions, and he can't answer. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the ball's in his court, really, like, or the ball is in his court to answer these things. And if he does, then you know theoretically uh, we could figure some stuff out. And then yeah, he, there could be like a. A very good reason for all of these. Probably not a very good reason. It, it would be like a mistake. Like they screwed up. Because you, you want to know my theory set on, on this, like uh, like a full speculation at this point. But my my theory is that they ran a bunch of tests. Like they ran this test like a bunch of times. Like maybe like dozens of times, and they screwed up the footage. Like they didn't match the footage with the actual result. So they they set out to have a result which is hit the dummy. And they sure. hit the dummy three times in I don't know, like dozens and dozens of tests. And then they're like, all right, let's just let's just show those three tests, of course, where we hit the dummies. But then they screwed up the footage where the car doesn't actually hit the test. And they never, and obviously it's not a scientific test if you set out to have specific result and you don't share the actual failure rate. So if it fell three times, or actually success rate for them, because that the, the goal was to hit the dummy, then you have to sell how many times it it, it it recognized it and missed it, and then you can probably start to have an idea of why it hit it for whatever reason and maybe one of those reasons might be this 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 uh warning that appears on it like so at very best it is extremely suspicious a lot of inconsistency and at worst it might they might have manipulated fsd in order to achieve those results which is which would be obviously that why doesn't want to answer that is like if that is the truth then uh, i think there's a serious ground to sue I, i would assume yeah, and then so finally, Dan, uh, Dan says, recant or you'll be dragged into the litigation, assuming this isn't just another master scammer Musk bluff. Yeah. So I guess I guess he thinks you're part of Musk's scheme, and uh, which is funny because like you know currently you're blocked because of that one story. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think what he's saying with that is like, oh, like if. Uh... If they do sue me, I'm gonna like subpoena you, like to 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 for for like to to get like the what you said, like to to give me like details, whatever. But like, <laughs> I mean, everything is out there. Every kind of research I did on this is in those articles or on on Twitter. I did post more things on Twitter too. But uh, so like everything is out there. All I did is raise some serious questions about this test and. He, consistently refuse to answer those questions both prior to postings and after posting. So I have like no remorse whatsoever about this this, this reporting because I, I gave him all the opportunity in the world to answer the question and he, he refused to. So. Um, but yeah, spe- like, <laughs> this is going to be a good example. Like if Dow, like if Dan, if you're if you're watching this, don't stop watching right now. Even though we're moving forward f- from your story, we're gonna still be talking about FSD, and you might love the, the rest of this. Or talk about FSD because I think okay, yeah. First of all, uh, we're gonna talk about Elon announcing because that was last weekend, just after the our last podcast. Elon announced that there's gonna be a price hike to the FSD beta, uh, or the FSD package, really. Through um, that's gonna come. Uh, you said the date on this. 
September 5th. So this is this is coming up fast uh, in, in North America, of course, because that's where the beta is available. But uh, it's going to be price hike of $3,000. So if you've been following, it's a $12,000 FSD beta package right now. So that's $15,000 for, for the privilege of testing an incomplete <laughs> software package that uh, honestly doesn't bring a lot of now, honestly, now it doesn't it basically doesn't bring any kind of value, in my opinion, because uh, especially with the new uh, coming of uh, the coming, the comeback of auto enhanced autopilot. So a lot of the features that were actually useful in the FSD package are now in enhanced autopilot. So, of course, you still get those if you upgrade from regular autopilot to uh, FSD, you still get those, but you get those at a much higher price than uh, enhanced autopilot. So. Now it's basically like the city driving stuff that that you, you get from uh, the, the the FSD package in beta. Again, supposed to get better over time, sure. But as of now, based on my own experience of using it, it's it had stress to driving, doesn't remove stress of driving like uh, Autopilot does on the highway. So I I just don't see much value in that. And so of course now that my opinion, Elon's logic for Increasing the price is that this is just one of many more increase to come because he sees the value of Tesla achieving full self-driving to be much greater than $15,000. So it's kind of a way to encourage people to buy it now because it's going to be more expensive in the future. And he sees that with this 10.69 update, um, it is going to be it's going to be better and then worth more. And then that's why they're increasing the price. Now, is it worth more? Uh, there there are some improvement in dot uh, sixty nine for sure, but uh, there's also a lot of people that are are not happy with it. There's not this, they have the same problem that was before. A lot of people, the, the big improvement is definitely the the unprotected unprotected left turn, especially the one that uh, Chuck is doing uh, on YouTube. He himself has noted some great improvement on that front. But a lot of the same phantom braking issues, a lot of the same behavior at lower speed. A lot of, like there's, there's still a lot of issues with FSD beta that are more basic. And that's interesting because that leads us to our next topic on FSD beta, which is Elon telling one of those early FSD beta. Because um, right now, the 10.69, as we discussed last week, only a thousand people have it because uh, they're doing like a slower rollout. One of them is uh, James Locke. He goes on Twitter. And uh, he he complained on Twitter. I'm going to read his, his complaint, which very, very mild complaint. Uh, unfortunately, I have to say, I'm still having to intervene to correct FSD beta.69 in my area. Still lots of work to go. I know this is probably not a popular opinion, but the focusing on the chalk complex left is getting ahead of the needs of some more basic control issues. And you know, I agree a lot with with that. Not, not that I have a problem, like like trying to get like a left turn, complicated left turn, make makes sense. But in my experience, there's a lot of basic, very basic control issues that that you need to nail. Like that, if you want to achieve full self driving, you need to nail those. And to say is still far from nailing those. So I would focus on that before a complex left turn. To be honest, like unless I see like there's like no one there, I'll I'll do a left turn uh, at an intersection with FSD beta. But most of the time, I'll disengage and just do it myself because it's taking forever and it's 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 it feels dangerous to me, so I don't do it. But if I'm just driving around normal road, taking a turn and it doesn't take the turn correctly, uh, 
then it's that's way more scary to me. But anyway, Elon responds, dot point sixty nine is in limited release for a reason. Please do not ask to be included in early beta releases and then complain. Um, so obviously this is bad because this is uh, this is disencouraging uh, feedback, like negative feedback, which I think that's kind of a, the job of the FSD beta test, uh, tester. Now, Elon, after that, to be fair, he did clarify that he was saying that lock. Lock a lock key, and I'm not probably lock, right? Um, yeah, he that, he, yeah, he said that uh, lock asked to be in the first thousand to get that. So, the earth, it's not just it get the, the semantics are gonna get complicated, but it's, it's not just like early, it's a beta release, and then there's the early beta releases. This is this the 1069 is only an early beta release, so mostly internal employees at Tesla and a few external employees, but. Luck has been uh, FSD beta tester for a long time. So I, I assume that he was already in it, but he says he was actually requested to be in it, just like Chuck and then Omar and all those people. Now, every people that's in the beta is requesting to be in the beta, though. Like I requested to be in the beta, I was accepted. You requested to be in the beta, you haven't been accepted for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, but so everyone that is asking to be in the beta, so I don't, I don't understand his point with that, whether it's an early beta or not. And whether it's early or not early, feedback should be welcome here. Uh, and I think this is good feedback. Like Locke is saying, like, hey, uh, I get that you want to nail Chuck's complex left turn or something. I don't know if Chuck's left turn is getting like a lot of attention on YouTube or something. And like Tesla wants to to fix that. But do you think that that's going to be like more impactful? But obviously, the basic control issues should be the priority here. And so I, I completely understand Locke's point. I don't know why Elon, well, actually, I kind of know why Elon is saying that. He, he's having major issue with his feedback loop on, on Twitter right now. And uh, he's not reacting well. Like 30,000 people like that tweet. Can you imagine that? 30,000 people were like, hey, good on you, Elon, for shutting down constructive criticism right there. Yeah, it's a little discouraging, for sure. Yeah, I, I, it's it's for me. It's a clear example of the feedback loop that Elon has on Twitter being broken, and uh, something that I've been saying for years now. And in the last mm, six months, last year or so, I've been seeing a ramp up of those examples where I, I see the feedback loop being broken, actually negatively affecting Elon and his uh, role at Tesla, and it, I. I I don't know a solution or anything. Well, probably no solution. Get off Twitter. But I, I, I don't see like a clear path right now to him like stop to to, to reverse this role here. Do you think if he uh, is forced to well, if he if, if he's forced to buy Twitter or pay them out like a a huge dollar figure like five billion dollars or something to not buy Twitter, do you think it'll piss him off and pull him off Twitter? Potentially, yeah. I mean, this is this is a, this is a funny it's one to me. Well spent. Yeah, I, I I was kind of undecided about Elon buying Twitter, like where I stand on it. Like I kind of like the like I I do enjoy Twitter to a degree, and I I did like Elon's ideas for Twitter. Most of them, I think, I thought I thought were were good, uh, but I <laughs> now now that it's it's basically becoming a Tesla issue because you, you literally had that I don't know, like it's probably like sixteen, I think. Uh, 16 billion dollars of tesla shares or worth of tesla shares sold in anticipation of buying twitter or being forced to buy to buy twitter 
So if if this like and now if this whole thing falls through, it's sixteen billion dollars that supposedly, according to Elon, is going to go back into Tesla. So and and obviously we've been also complaining about like oh you'll never sell Tesla share unless it's to buy a social media platform. So it's now I'm kind of torn. It's like I I think Elon could improve Twitter to a degree, or at least he has a chance to. Uh, and Twitter does need improvement, in my opinion. But also. I, I also think you should focus on Tesla. <laughs> this is a turn in between. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Uh, this uh, we reported on some charging. This is, is GD Power, right? That was GD Power, I think. Yeah. So GD Power uh, released their um, annual charging experience survey. Uh, so this is this is new. Uh, this is only two years old. So it's interesting. It's, it's we see like how people feel about. Uh, the charging experience based on different network. Uh, and uh, unsurprisingly, Tesla uh, dominates by a wide margin. So Tesla getting a score, or it's out of a 1,000, of 739. A lot of people are surprised that it's not higher than that. So that's like a 74% of, uh, score. And uh, I would probably myself give uh, closer to an 85 90% score to, to, to Tesla. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, similar. Uh, yeah. Really good on my part. I mean, in my experience, I've rarely run into an issue. Yeah, for me, it's more like cleanliness and uh, and maybe some uh, anonymities around some of the stations, but still very good score. But yeah, so Tesla. But if if you when you compare yourself, you console yourself. Uh, seven hundred to thirty nine. Uh, seven hundred thirty nine for Tesla. The average was uh, six seventy four. And why it is anywhere close to Tesla is because Tesla is pulling the average way higher because the second best was charge point at 644. So if it wasn't for Tesla, the average would be closer to like 500 or 600 or whatever. Um, so yeah, charge point at 644, Electrify America at 614, and EVgo dead last at 573. And I would say charge point has kind of an uh, an inherent advantage because ChargePoint is usually installed at at workplace locations. They they usually are, you know, set up by people who would theoretically take care of them and and have a motivation for keeping them up versus the other networks which, you know, they're they're selling directly to consumers. Yeah, ChargePoint doesn't own their own station if I understand correctly, so it's not this is like you said. So the the incentive for people to keep up the network is like it's actually their own station that they, they need to keep up. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. So a few interesting points here to take, in my opinion, is um, first of all the average went down from last year. <laughs> so so it's not getting better; it's getting worse and. Uh, some of the main reason for the for the complaints are obviously the the, the station being up. Seventy two percent indicated that it was due to uh, the station malfunctioning or being out of service. So this is the biggest problem. Obviously, we've, we've been talking about that for a while now. But and, and it's I haven't gotten better. It's I've gotten worse. And uh, one one of my take to have kind of a silver lining to this is, uh, and I've been talking about that a lot in the last few. Um, few days with this with this trip with uh with volkswagen and everything's trying to to um just put some fear in them or something that now that tesla is opening because tesla is only for tesla vehicles in north america and right now this this surveys for north american market uh, 
now that Tesla is going to open its supercharger network to non-Tesla owners, it's literally going to compete directly with those Evigo and Electrify America with a much better product according to the surveys and anyone that use those networks. So this this hopefully this is going to put a lot of pressure on them. This is going to like now they're going to have a, like a very good competitor and if they want to keep people on their network, which they have to, if they want to create the business model that they they want to have, which is to to make money ch- with vehicle charging, and the only way to do that is to have an extensive network that has a, a decent um, usage rate. And Tesla is also beating everyone on the usage rate. And now, adding uh, a fleet of non-Tesla vehicles to it. It's uh, it, it's gonna it's gonna create a lot of pressure. I think I think they're gonna be fine at first. Tesla's most likely gonna uh, put some uh, premium on on, on non Tesla vehicles using their network, but I think a lot of people are gonna be very willing to use to to get that premium to pay that premium just for the better experience. And over time, as they, they use that money and they expand the network, they might be able to control the cost better and reduce the cost. And we already know that Tesla as much lower cost for deploying new station than than other network, at least according to what they put on uh, their claims for funding, for federal funding. So I think this ultimately should be very good, should be putting, like, creating a more competitive market. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think uh, Tesla's, as you said, is once they uh, let other EV um companies come on, it might actually lower Tesla's um, acceptance rate because Tesla owners, it's very simple. You just plug it in with other EV owners. They're going to have to go to an app and they might not be as savvy with the whole setup. So there'll be more complaints, but overall it'll be better for the industry. And, you know, if you can go to a Tesla network and it's fairly simple versus, you know, an EA or EVgo where you're rolling the dice, everybody's going to go to Tesla by default. Yeah, just just the uptime alone is gonna is gonna be a big game changer. Like, uh, we don't have the actual uptime data, but uh, well, we actually have some for Tesla. Actually, uh, I think I put that in in the next. Uh, whoops, that's the same article. In the next one here, uh, did I did this release the uptime data? Did I, I didn't. I made that up. I made that up. But I've seen it at some point. It was like ninety nine percent or something. Um, yeah, so this is for a Canadian listener. I know we uh, we kind uh, we have a lot of Canadian listener on the podcast. I have good news this week. I found this post from Mister Jace Zampini, and uh, he's the lead designer for supercharging infrastructure in Canada. And he announced on LinkedIn that uh, they are doubling their design team. And uh, the supercharger designers are, are very important. They they're not designed the actual supercharger. Uh, stall or anything like that the design station so the, you need for every project you have you need a, a, a supercharger designer to design the whole station and they oversee the entire project rollout from every phase of development from construction feasibility due diligence site layout design electric utility service requests site permitting cost control project close out the commission the whole thing so the more of the designer that you have the more uh, capacity you have to deploy new station and Zampini announced that they are doubling the team in Canada. So they are hiring people in Toronto, Calgary, Kelowna, Vancouver, two in Vancouver. So uh, going to grow a lot in BC and one in Quebec. Uh, so six new designers doubling the team to 12. 
uh, that should mean a lot more stations coming up a lot faster. So good news for Canadian Tesla owners and maybe soon Canadian Tesla non-EV, non-Tesla EV owners. All right. Uh, let's talk about this announcement yesterday about the Starlink deal with mobile uh, with T-Mobile. So they announced that they're going to do uh, a direct-to-phone connection with the st- next uh, generation of the Starlink Starlink satellite. So if you're not familiar with Starlink, it's, it's SpaceX uh, internet-based, satellite-based internet. They have this constellation of, of satellites that they're building at lowered or- orbit and uh, providing internet connectivity to to consumers in, in most in rural areas. So they're not trying to compete really with fibers, but in places where the fiber don't reach, you can buy a Starlink terminal and connect to that um, uh, to that constellation of satellite and gets high speed in internet with low bandwidth, uh, low uh, latency and high bandwidth. So very good internet that uh, so far hasn't been really available for for people uh, in rural areas. Now, on top of that, they're announcing that uh, they are making it a deal using T-Mobile's existing 5G spectrum. They're going to connect that to mid-band PCS uh, and basically use the Starlink network uh, to provide internet, uh, not internet, uh, phone connectivity via satellite to T-Mobile customers. Uh, now, this is very uh, a limited connection, so two to four megabits per cell area. So very, very, very uh, low capacity. But it's going to be enough for, for sending text and uh, make, even making phone calls. Up to I think uh, these like one or two thousand phone calls per cell area, so this pretty good. Like again, this is not meant to replace five G. It's meant to use the capacity to um, basically have blanket coverage all around the world. <laughs> so even if you're not in in a direct zone where you have like full uh, internet connectivity, you're gonna still be able to get calls and to do text messages basically via satellite. So this is this is really cool. Now. How does this relate to Tesla? Uh, Dave Lee asked Elon, "Will Tesla cars?" I'm gonna read it because again, this is a one answer, one word answer from Elon. So like, the question is more important than the answer, really. Will Tesla cars get this feature too in the future to connect directly to Starlink satellite for emergency calls and texts? Elon says yes. So then, a lot of people have been very confused about what what that means ex- exactly. Uh, so this is like, uh, is, is it going to be a part of premium connectivity and everything? I, I don't, I, I don't think so. I think it's just it's going to be like a new way to connect. And again, Dave Lee specifically mentioned emergency calls and text. This is not again, this is not high capacity, high bandwidth internet connectivity that they have here. This is very low uh, bandwidth. So again, it would be just for emergency call and text, or like just to to stay connected to a degree. Um, more similar to what's the OnStar, OnStar is that what they call it? like the GM and that like very popular. Yeah, GM uses OnStar, but uh, now now G, you know OnStar is over LTE, um, yeah. so you get. I mean, but you're right, calls. I was also thinking maybe like GPS coordinates, like you know if your car is in a place that um, you know doesn't have Wi-Fi, doesn't have LTE, it would be good to have that so your car can send up its GPS coordinates to the cloud, so you you can find out where your car is. Or um, what's the other small stuff? And and if you get stranded in that location, you can get an emergency call or text and send your location. Yeah, so that's that's a good point. Uh, so yeah, this is not that 
big of a deal, I think, for Tesla. Obviously, this is more like oh, it would make sense to add it. It would be useful. But uh, obviously, this is more of a big deal for uh, T-Mobile and SpaceX. It's just it's a good partnership to have. And it's kind of a added benefit for T-Mobile customers and also some money for SpaceX, I guess, for Starlink. All right, going to move on from Tesla stories. A few non-Tesla stories to discuss this week. And then we're going to jump in the comment section. So if you have a comment, if you have a question for us, just put it in the comment section right now. We're going to get to them in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, this is an exciting one, especially for you, Seth. I know you've been looking. You've been looking for third-row um, electric vehicles. And Kia is going to be one of them with the EV9. And we, uh, they announced that they are in the last phase of testing, and they released a few pictures of it, and it looks it looks solid. It looks very, uh, it looks R1S, really like Rivian to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with a lot of people not really comfortable with Rivian as a startup, um, mm -hmm. this is a fantastic alternative. Uh, Kia said in the past, I don't know if this is going to stay true, but they were going to try to start this under $50,000. Uh, so that would be a big deal. Um, the big thing, as we talk about, is third row. Uh, you know, out in the suburbs, you kind of need to have a third row. Uh, you need those, you know, seven spots for kids and their friends and whatever um so this coming out soon uh i think this will be the first non-rivian r1s uh third row um you know full size kind of like suv that could theoretically go off-road um that's really out there you know we, we saw the uh, eqb and of course tesla's model y and model x have third row options um but this is kind of like the first you know general every every person type of vehicle to have that so i think it's gonna be a big deal and i frankly i think if they're selling at fifty thousand dollars they're gonna you know sell as many as they can make yeah i i have my doubts about fifty thousand dollars but either way it's gonna be cheaper than an r1s which uh, i think scooter said on uh, 68,000 so seventy eight thousand dollars starts the r1s so it's gonna be cheaper than that at least uh and and it's and Kia like if you compare it to the EV6 like the EV6 is pretty like not a lux it's not a luxury vehicle but it's, it's kind of a premium vehicle so you're gonna have a, still a premium feel in the EV6 EV9 I should say and so it's not not gonna be like a an Escalade competitor or anything like that but it's gonna be pre as close as luxury as it gets so I think it's gonna it's gonna fit well with the uh, R1S as being like more of a luxury option. And for a third row, and then you have like a little more uh, accessible option with the EV9. But yeah, fifty thousand dollars. I when did they say that? Because every everything goes up in price these days. Was yeah, I think that was at the auto show uh, when they revealed the uh, you know the super concepty version of this thing uh, that you know had the suicide doors and you know suit like the back was basically just like a love seat couch thing. Mm -hmm. So. Things have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Because another good example of that is the Mackie. The other books are being reopened for the Mackie, but it is coming with some price increases and a few different options too, that uh, uh, options and colors that are changing. So let's uh, run into the update real quick. So starting this fall, uh, premium Mackie models will be built on Ford's extended range battery with uh, 290 EPA range on all-wheel drive. So this is this means that the uh, the premium version are only going to come with extended range. I assume that's what they're trying to say here. The new Mustang Night Pony package featuring high gloss black 19-inch wheel, a black pony, uh, black, uh, I assume this is the badge that they're talking about, uh, black interior features, door trim, and mirror caps on the trim 
will be available on premium extended range model and the GT performance model. Two new colors for the Mustang include the carbonized gray metallic and vapor blue metallic. Do we have a example? I assume this is the blue and this is the gray, silver, whatever. Uh, gray metallic, yeah. Yeah, because um, I think cars. Yeah, yeah. They replaced the dark matter gray and ice blue silver. The California Route 1 will be available to purchase with an all-wheel drive configuration. So the California Route 1, I think, was the longer range, the longest range version before, but that was partly because it was only available in rear-wheel drive. So now you have uh, all-wheel drive also available to it. Uh, the panoramic sunroof will replace the black roof on JT and GT Performance Edition. Okay. And yeah, the price increases are between $2,600 and $8,000 for uh, the new 2020. Uh, 2023 models coming this fall. Now it starts at basically $47,000 for the select rear-wheel drive standard range and goes up to six, seven, basically $70,000 for the GT extended range version. And uh, so if you want like uh, an extended range, I think it's going to start at around forty-five, uh, fifty, dollars so $55,000 if you want an extended range battery. And... Um, then if you want an all-wheel drive, it starts at $50,000. Again, that's with the standard range. Uh, so those are your, your main price point to look for. I mean, still still competitive with the, like a Y, basically, uh, in terms of pricing and cheaper option because they have a standard range rear-wheel drive option, obviously. All right, the EQS SUV. Uh, started to roll off the assembly line in Alabama where Mercedes is, is building it. Uh, will it qualify for the tax credit? Eh? We went with that title. <laughs> Obviously, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a no. <laughs> we uh, we went hard with the Birchridge uh, law there. Uh, always, if there's a question mark, it's a no. Uh, obviously, the QS starts at like what 120 thousand dollars in the US. Uh, it's, so the, it starts at just over 100, 103, I think, okay, uh, okay. for the for like the rear wheel drive EQS. So yes, uh, this is probably not going to hit the eighty thousand. Well, Although I think I think the eighty thousand doesn't kick in until the end of the year, so maybe they yeah. can squirt out enough of these to. Uh, and also, it's at least closer than the EQS uh, sedan because the EQS sedan would have to reach fifty five thousand dollars to get it. This is an SUV, so at least not even close. Year. 80, but it's not it's not gonna be close either. I think it's gonna be probably more expensive than the uh, EQS sedan. So, uh, but yeah, the uh, they started production and uh, it, it is starting to deliveries are gonna be at the end of the year. I think in the coming months, they say the delivery timeline on this. Yeah, 102 for the sedan. Okay, we don't have actual. Cleared every time we started productions. It's just some, sometimes I, I keep a close eye on that because some automakers these days have a tendency like starting production and then the deliveries are like months and months and months later. All right, so we jump into the comments, questions, and whatnot. All right, uh, we did get some comments. Uh, yeah, my my uh, audio is a little bit background. If, if, if that. you if you want to just click on them, I can read them out and, and do them. If All you right. want to contribute. Uh, so that's about an Aventon bike. Uh, Dan O'Dowd is 62 years old. We shouldn't really focus on the age more than the uh, idiocy. Um, oh, here's one. Uh, Fred, did you raise enough for your current lawsuit from Celine? I don't think so. So everybody. No, I haven't been pushing that too much lately, but uh, I will actually just got my first date yesterday for, for when I'm going to appear in court. 
Uh, it's going to be in November. So I still have some time uh, to, to figure this all out. But yeah, I'm going to keep you guys updated on how this is going to happen. If you do want to contribute, especially if you want to share, I'm not, I'm not even asking for, for money here. If you can just share the fundraiser uh, page uh, on, on, on GoFundMe, because this is one of the only thing that I can share safely without be getting myself into more trouble. So it, like, it, at least it, 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 tell, it pushed the story out there which I think is an important part because no one is talking about this right now. But soon that will change. Soon that will change and more coming down that soon. I cannot, cannot talk too much. But soon that will change. There will be more people talking about this, which I'm looking forward to because this is a wild story if you're not aware of it. Yeah, and if anybody's looking uh, for a bit more info on that, it's, at the, it's a pinned tweet at the top of uh, Fred's uh, Twitter account. Yeah, if you go on my Twitter, it's the pinned tweet, yeah. All right, uh, Spike43 says, question, is it known if Supercharger Network is profitable for Tesla? The costs were so much lower, it would be scandalous to fund any other company to build out infrastructure when they are so bad. That's a, I mean, that's a good comment. Um, I, I don't know that Tesla's supercharger network is profitable. I don't think they aim to make money on it. And their build out is so, like they're building out so much that I think, uh, I don't know. What do you think, Fred? I mean, it's, it depends how you look at it. It, it is an extremely profitable for them on the standpoint that it helps them sell cars like crazy. It's like the value is built in into the cars, basically, because you, when you buy a Tesla, you buy access to the supercharger network on top of the actual cost for it. Now, if you don't consider that and you just consider the cost of deployment, the cost of operation and maintenance uh, versus what Tesla gets from it purely from not the sale of their vehicles, but from the revenue uh, per kilowatt hour or per, per charging time, uh, the answer to that is most likely no. But it's it doesn't have to be right now. Uh, it, it will be with non-Tesla EVs because tes- with non-Tesla EVs, Tesla doesn't cannot get anything from it from the vehicle selling standpoint. Uh, may- maybe actually it's it's kind of a marketing <laughs> kind of a marketing tool where non-Tesla EVs get to the Tesla superchargers and they get to talk with the Tesla owners or whatever. They're like, you know what? Maybe my next EV is going to be a Tesla, whatever. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's that has some value. But uh, yeah, I, I think. No, no one is making money off of uh, like EVgo uh, charge, well, maybe ChargePoint because of different business model, but EA and all that, they're not making money off uh, operating charging networks right now. Uh, that's going to come with, with scale and with higher um, use, utilization time. And, uh, that, but that's going to come at some point. It's just in the meantime, you need to build a good experience and you need to reduce your costs. And I think Tesla is way ahead on both count right now. All right. Um, oops, let's move here. Uh, EA, so this is capitalized. EA came out so flashy and promising, but their maintenance and uptime is bad enough. It is making news and regular news sites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, that um, as EVs go ma- more mainstream, uh, kind of the the charging infrastructure issues are going to go more mainstream as well. Um, you know, I don't know what to tell EA, but like, you know, it's real. Like, there are real issues. All right, we'll move on a little bit. Uh, Dan Oberst, uh, will SpaceX cell signal only be for T-Mobile or will any 5G phone be able to use it? I would assume only T-Mobile, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not 5G in the traditional sense, so it'll require special hardware, I think, in phones. Um, and it's also interesting that um, you know Apple's been rumored to do some space stuff. Um, they already have uh, kind of an SOS thing. And their iPhone announcements coming in a few, 
uh, like two weeks. So maybe uh, SpaceX and T-Mobile are trying to get out ahead of Apple uh, announcing their own space stuff. All right. Um, how will non-Teslas connect and pay for superchargers? Uh, you want to answer that? How will non-Tesla connect and pay for non? Well, I mean, pay. They, they need a, a Tesla account. You 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 have now the ability to create a Tesla account without being a Tesla owner, uh, and you connect a credit card to that account, and you, you now all the superchargers are are, are non-bird and. Uh, and so you, when you go to a station, you're going to just be able to, I'm at this station, I'm using this stall, and poop, you unlock it, and then uh, it can it, it starts charging. It's as simple as that. Yeah, um, so Gal Guapanti says, um, Elon also said, I do not doubt that criticism, public and private, is welcome. After we go to wide beta, why did you not talk about this comment? Well, I think you did talk about that comment. Uh, well, I mean, talking. I don't remember the specific of criticism, public or private, is welcome after we go to a white beta. But uh, my my response to that would simply be the why, like why that that was good criticism. Period. Why would why would it be a problem? Like I I, I think Elon just you know he got uh, what's the word he uh, he got hurt by by that. Like are you you asked me to be in the early beta and now you criticize it? Like come on, like like this is. I think uh, if you wouldn't have asked for it, you would have like, all right, this is like fair criticism, whatever. Like, uh, I just, I don't think that before or after the water beta is a problem. Like, this is something that's on the road right now that that people are experiencing. Like, you should be able to criticize it. Simple. Yeah. All right. Uh, EQS will not qualify for the current credit once the president signed, unless you have a binding contract before he signed. So, uh, mm-hmm. really, oh, yeah, another. Yeah, Companies are doing that um, just to get. Uh, or I mean, we're frankly, doing it. Yeah, uh, if you can afford a hundred thousand dollar vehicle, you probably don't need the the help. Uh, Rick Skinta, question. Now that uh, oh wait, I think last time you told us that we're pronouncing it wrong. Anyway, uh, question. Now that Fisker is planning plan to start production and using Magna, uh, who had built the BMW five series Z four Toyota Supra Mercedes G wagon. Um, and also, we should note the I-Pace uh, changes opinion. I took the plunge. Uh, we knew Fisker was using Magna from the start. Is that, is that yeah, right? I don't know if it, well, I mean, no, I think, well, it wasn't, we, we've been criticizing Fisker before they announced the Magna deal, but I, I'm still like, I, I, I'm still not completely on board with this idea. Magna is not, like, Fisker is going to use more magna parts than any vehicle ever built before like this is basically like a magna car that you're buying that is branded by fisker and fisker has maybe some design marketing like marketing they have the design marketing service and all that but uh it's it's so it's it's not like i have no magna is a very dangerous company like that's the point that rick is making there that's a completely fair point but it it it's it's not made to build cars from the ground up completely and that's not quite what they're doing with Fisker but almost what they're doing with with Fisker so so yeah uh no I'm still I still have massive doubt about the ability of Fisker to deliver but I'd be pleasantly surprised if they do if it if it works out and everything but I, like you also need to trust Fisker with like servicing these vehicles and delivering like uh, managing all that at scale like uh, I this is this this is a big deal uh good luck to them Good luck to you if you actually, he says he, says he took the plunge and he bought it, he, ordered, he ordered one. Yeah, I hope it works out for those people. Yeah. All right, question, do we 
uh, know about the delivery numbers of Rivian's delivery vans. I was wondering whether it could give an indication of the capability to ramp production. I don't think they break that down with the R1S or R1T as far as I, as I know. Uh, but uh, they just officially started the program with Amazon before, uh, was it last month or in July that they started the official like deliveries with the... Uh, yeah, officially. The, I mean, there were some prototypes running around. Yeah, it was like a test program before that. So I think that now it's going to rim up more. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we you, I don't think we, you need to focus on the vans to to look at the ramp up at Rivian. I think you look at the numbers, they're, they're fine right now. And it hasn't been as much the issue of an actual volume ramp up of Rivian. They, they had a decent ramp. Technically, if you look quarter to quarter, they had a decent ramp. Uh, it's more of a make that turn the gross margin positive and uh, reduce operating expenses. Uh, I think that's the main problem that we we need to see from Rivian right now. Fix I agree. Well, we need to see fix, yeah. So. All right. Oliver Guerino, question, why is Tesla undercutting the Model 3 in numerous European countries by several thousands of euros, especially with the given backlog. Are they planning massive output on out of Berlin? Yeah, that's uh, oh, <laughs> you got uh, I, I that's a that's a good question. I mean, everyone was surprised by this Model Y release today, I think, or the price at least uh, of the release. Uh, I mean, Tesla is uh, has more competition in Europe. I mean, I was just in Copenhagen. I mean, this is. Being in Copenhagen versus being in the U.S., I mean, now I'm back in New York and like Tesla's everywhere. Like just Tesla left and right, and not not that much of anything else. I've seen like maybe like two Mackies and and that's about it. Uh, but but you you go to Copenhagen, I was seeing EV6 everywhere, Ionic fives, I was uh, Renault Zoe, uh, I was seeing that uh, Audi e-tron, uh, Mercedes EQC. I've I've seen everything. Uh, going out, we went from uh, Copenhagen to Malmo in Sweden, uh, and just EVs everywhere. It's a completely different market. Uh, so I think Tesla is trying to be more competitive there because they have more competition. So that's that, that's just fair. Um, but um, yeah, so as, I don't know. Maybe it's the blades. Maybe the it's not just the LFP because the Model Three standard range, of course, also LFP sells. Uh, maybe the blades have truly like are very much cheaper and tesla is able to deliver the model y standard range for quite cheap that's might be just the if if it's truly the blades are in there again so i'm not confirming that i don't i don't know for a fact all right that's it for today and the all right well thanks everyone for listening uh, to this uh, week's episode if you did like the show please give us a thumbs up on your podcast app or, or, or review if you're listening on itunes or on spotify i you know said that i was i was talking about the podcast to someone this week and he was like are you on spotify i'm like i don't even know if we're on spotify i check out the spotify we're like we're spotify. super highly ranked on spotify too like a 4.9 stars like appreciate everyone that gave us five star on that too it's uh it's greatly appreciated it helps the show more than you think and algorithm and whatnot and we uh we're gonna see you same time same place next week have a good one